When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. It's time to get inside the Giants' home. Let's go, let's go, let's go. On Giants.com. I like it, I like it, I like it. And the Giants' mobile app. Give me some juice. Part of the Giants' podcast network. Let's roll. Welcome to another edition of the Giants' Huddle Podcast, brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the New York football Giants. I am John Schmelk, joined now by Eric Eager, second time he's been with us here on the Giants' Huddle Podcast. He is the vice president of research and development at Sumer Sports, which is a consulting company for NFL teams trying to figure out ways to successfully build NFL franchises. And given we're about to head into off-season mode right now, I thought Eric would be a great person to talk to to try to figure out what type of moves the Giants might want to make here moving forward to get back into the NFL playoffs, like the teams that will be participating in the Super Bowl this year, where Eric Eager is in lovely Las Vegas. Eric, what's going on, man? Thanks for being with us. Yeah, John's uh, great to see you, and it's uh, I can't believe we're already through the season, man. I know. It goes fast. I just came back from Frisco and Mobile. So I'm already in the off-season mode. For the people fortunate enough to still be in regular season mode, let's start there. What lessons did you and, and your group over there at Sumer Sports take out of not just the two Super Bowl teams, but the final four and the final eight from this year's playoff teams in terms of team building? Yeah, I think when you look at, um, you know, right now we have the, the basically since 2012, Right. We have another Super Bowl, all of them since 2000, except for 2016. We have all the Super Bowls, except for one, have had a, a team built around a quarterback who is making rookie deal money. Uh, so, you know, with the exception of Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, it's just incredibly hard to win in the NFL when your quarterback makes a lot of money. And I think like you know, when you look at the Giants, you know, Daniel Jones played, I think, really good football in 2022. 2023, you know, they played a tougher schedule. Uh, a lot of things came, I think, to a head as far as the roster maturity and you know people catching up a little bit to the scheme. And so, you know, I think a question, I, I think a question for for them becomes, how do you look at the Kansas City Chiefs with a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, first ever quarterback in the history of the league to have the biggest cap hit, also make the Super Bowl? How do you look at their approach to team building and say? How can we build the second best defense in the NFL? How can we build an offensive line that is able to, you know, have Patrick Mahomes generate the second lowest sack rate in the NFL behind just Josh Allen? Um, and and how can you deal and how can you live with the tensions that are, arise from weaknesses in the roster? The Chiefs have one of the worst receiving cores in the NFL. Only one wide receiver with only over 500 yards this year, and no wide receivers with over a thousand. You know, a lot of those same issues the Giants grapple with. And yet, you know, for them, it becomes, I think, catastrophic at times because 
you know, they don't have, you know, the quarterback that's, you know, the quarterback's a six or six or seven out of 10 and maybe not a 10 out of 10 the way Mahomes is. How can, you know, Dable, how can Daniel Jones come together to squeeze a little bit more juice out of the orange? And how can they, you know, with, with how can they as a front office go in and, you know, get the four or five more, you know, talented players that can elevate the play and the, and the coaching of the most important people on the roster? All right, you hit a lot of good topics there. I want to hit on one at a time here. So, one, do you still think more important for teams to focus on offense rather than defense? Since maybe one great offensive player like a quarterback can sustain you for a longer period of time, uh, where do you lean that way in terms of what has a better chance of getting you to where you want to go, a really good offense or a really good defense, and then sustaining that over a longer period of time? Well, really good offense is just easier to build because it takes fewer degrees of freedom, right? So, you know, oftentimes, you know, the data says that quarterbacks control a lot more of their pressure rate than offensive line do. Patrick Mahomes, you know, for example, I, I met, mentioned that that pressure rate and the sack rate, that offensive line has gotten worse this year. They gave up 1% more pressure because Juwan Taylor led the league in, in penalties, but was also, you know, a very, uh, you know, giving player at the right side of the offensive line as a free agent over from Jacksonville. Uh, Donovan Smith, you know, was injured for a lot of times. They were starting a third-round rookie at left tackle and Wanya Morris for part of the season. Um, but the quarterback's able to overcome that. Uh, you know, at wide receiver, they really struggled. Rasheed Rice eventually emerged and had more, more receiving yards than any rookie uh, in, you know, Andy Reid's career. But, you know, Marquez Valdez-Scanling, Sky Moore, a lot of guys that the Chiefs really wanted to be better players didn't, and they were still able to sort of overcome it sometimes. On defense, it takes a concerted effort because it's such a 11-player a, a, a deal, right? Uh the, one of the craziest stats is the Chiefs have drafted eight contributors for their defense the last three drafts, six of them in 2022 alone. And that's part of the Tyree kill trade. But that takes concerted effort and being able to hit on the picks. And and so it's just a lot harder to, to generate defense. And defense is harder to sustain as, as teams like the Legion of Boom and teams like the Ravens, who next year I think are going to lose Patrick Queen and they're going to you know, get a year older with, with guys like Marlon Humphrey and they're probably going to lose Damian Clowney and things like that. It's just harder to sustain defense and defense is a lot more sensitive to injuries and, and players falling off because of age. Yeah, and to me, Eric, and maybe I'm simplifying this too much, but to me, defense is more of a weakness-based group where if you're good in a couple spots but you have one glaring weakness, the other team can target that. It's hard for you to mitigate that, right? Offense, though, I feel like you have more force multipliers where one or two guys can elevate other groups and you can overcome those weaknesses through your own game planning. Is that fair? Yeah, because, you know, you, you don't get to choose in a lot of ways how the offense attacks you. So if you have a weak corner or a weak nickel or a linebacker in coverage, like you really can't dictate to the offense that they don't get to challenge you. Whereas, yeah, if, you, if you're Kansas City and like your third receiver isn't very good, you know, what Kansas City has done really well in the playoffs is they've gone to more two and three tight end sets. So they can eliminate that player from the personnel grouping. They can run the football more. They can do that kind of thing. Now, there's limits to that. Of course, of course. you can't run the football on third and ten. But you can you can eliminate some of those situations that put you in harm's way, whereas the offense, you know, they can put you in weak spots. So to your point, it's much more of a weak link system. And, and that's what makes it tough because it's really hard to buy average. It's really hard to draft average in the NFL. Oftentimes, you get to average on accident, right? You draft right. weaker players, and they become average, and that's a good thing. Or you you sign elite players, and they become average, which is a bad thing. Um, but it's really hard to sort of, like, call your shot and say, 
I'm signing an average linebacker. I'm signing an average left tackle. I've never seen an average left tackle in free agency. You know, like because those players are actually incredibly valuable. The same way that starting pitching is incredibly valuable. Even an average starting pitcher in baseball is going to be worth fifteen to twenty million in the free agency market. So that that's I think you hit the nail on the head there, and that's why to your point, you're looking for force multipliers. And, and oftentimes on offense, it's just so much more, it's so much easier to find those players. Now, I'll say the one exception to that on offense, and I'd love to see if you disagree with me, is the offensive line, right? Because as an offensive group, you can't control how the defense is going to attack your offensive line, right? And much like defense, you could have three really good all-pro level players, but if your right tackle stinks, guess what? And your left guard's awful, you could probably only help on one side to mitigate one of those weaknesses, right? So as the Giants continue, as they've been for what seems like 15 years, trying to, more like 10, build out that offensive line and, and make it a better group. What's the best way to approach that? Are you looking for the elite player, Eric? Are you looking to spread those resources out just to, to just get a bunch of guys that are okay and average, but not bad? How do you best allocate those resources to finally build an offensive line that can protect Daniel Jones and help run the ball at Saquon Barkley and whatever else the Giants want to do offensively? Well, luckily, luckily, history has a really good guide for us because, you know, tackles are premium position players. And so... And usually those tackles, you know, you have exceptions like David Bakhtiari and, and guys like that. But for the most part, and Giants fans know this, if you want to get an elite tackle, you generally speaking have to take them really high. And that doesn't mean you're going to get one. Sometimes they're Evan Neal and sometimes they're Andrew Thomas. But you have to take elite tackles high. Guards, you can sign them in free agency. When you look at, you know, the free agency market this year with guards has plenty of, has plenty of uh, talented players. Um and, you know, in free agency, generally speaking, you're able to sign guards and centers and linebackers and nickel corners and safeties yep. and fullbacks and tight ends and slot receivers and li- and running backs. If you want to get a tackle, you got to take them high in the draft. Generally. And you can take like, you know, in, in Philadelphia, Jordan Mailata was a guy that emerged. But that was because he was a hedge on Andre Dillard, who was a top end pick. So that's kind of where you go. If you have weaknesses at guard and center, you generally speaking can go out in free agency and pay up a little bit to get them. They're not that expensive and they're accessible. If you have a weakness at tackle, like for the most part, you either have to go back into the draft and draft them, or you have to go and trade for one of them, you know, a la Dwayne Brown or, or Trent Williams or something like that. And you really have to wrestle them away from the teams that have found gold there. Uh, and that, that can be typical. Agree with you hundred percent. And the Giants, I think, are in a position here to target center, or not center, they drafted John Michael Schwitz, but guard certainly in free agency this year where they've had some issues the last couple of years. And then we'll see about tackle at the top of the draft, which is going to come down to a decision, right? And we all remember the Bengals' decision a couple years ago, well, do you draft Penny Sewell or do you draft Jamar Chase? The Giants could be staring that type of decision right in the face this year if they have Roma Dunze, Malik Neighbors, Olu Fashanu, Joe Alt, putting aside the quality of the players, assuming... They all have similar grades, you know, eye the beholder, all that stuff. Where should a team go? Because to your point, you can't find elite offensive tackles in free agency. They never get there. Well, it's the same for 1A wide receivers now, right? These guys don't it for agency. If you want to get one, maybe you can trade for one, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, but you can't sign one. So in terms of ultimate value, where do you see that? Wide receiver now, elite wide receiver versus elite tackle. I think it really depends upon what your internals say about Evan Neal, right? Because... You know, Andrew Thomas as a rookie was not very good. And, you know, we've seen over and over and over again, often, like, that's the toughest position in football. You know, you think about Daniil Hunter, you think about Vaughn, you think about these Adonises that play 
defensive end in the league, and you think about the the athletic mismatch between tackle in the NFL and defensive end, and when you look at age curves, offensive line have the longest age curves, right? It takes forever for them to actually peak. And so, in my opinion, it's all coming down to, do you think Evan Neal's first two years are indicative of who he is? Or do you think it's one year more than Andrew Thomas, which is Andrew Thomas struggled in year one, was really good in year two, and now is a cornerstone of this franchise deserving of the long-term deal. If, if Evan Neal is a guy that can actually play for you, then you, you make the bet on one of the wide receivers because, you know, ultimately – it's, you know, you're going to end up moving Neil to guard or something like that if you take a tackle in the first round. And one of those tackles is going to play right tackle, which is not, you know, it might be a, a position change for one of them if you end up with one. Yeah. So I think that Neil is probably the guy you want to go with and you want to draft a wide receiver and just say, look, Daniel Jones, you're going to have to be a quicker processor. You're going to have to get the ball out of your hands faster as Evan Neal grows into this position. And that to me is probably the best gamble. But if they internally don't believe Evan Neal, is going to figure the thing out, then you, you have to cut bait on it. And even though he was a high draft pick, um, you know, there, there, there's value, of course. Robert Gallery, for example, was a pretty good guard in the NFL, even though he was a high draft pick as a tackle and never worked out there. And that could always be the case. And, you know, Neil can get, you can get two years of him as a, a plus player at guard uh, at, while you break in another rookie offensive tackle uh, with a top 10 pick. But it all depends upon what your grades are of him, uh, in my opinion. As you advise these teams, how much do you take into consideration the fact that these wide receiver classes are now so deep that you have a better shot at finding a really good wide receiver with a Giants pick at the top round? Two heck, maybe you could even package their second, second round pick they got for Leonard Williams to move back up into the first. However you want to do it, that you have a better chance of finding that wide receiver that could become a true one wide receiver with a early second round, late first round pick versus to your point you made earlier, if you're going to get an elite offensive tackle, you better take one in the top 10. Yeah. And, and the league doesn't value wide receivers all that much either. Right. So when you, if you take a guy at wide receiver in the top 10, you're, you're going against the grain, even in that big wide receiver draft in 2022, Garrett Wilson was the first guy take or no, it was Jake London was the first guy taken. And he was, you know, he wasn't in the top five. You know, we haven't seen a wide receiver taken in the top five in a long time. Uh, last year, the first one was taken in the 20s uh, with Jackson Smith and the Jigba. It, the, the league prizes players on the interior because they're just so much from a physical standpoint, so much more rare that if you go step out and take a wide receiver high, it's almost always going to be against the grain. So you have to be right about that. Whereas with tackles, you're, you're going to be kind of in, in step with the market. So I agree with you. And there's almost always, when you look at hit rates on second round wide receivers, they're generally speaking better than market rates. And so it's a pretty good gamble to, to wait on them. And the other part in the NFL, which is true, and I would have read, I really liked about the Jalen Hyatt pick is wide receivers. You know, you think about back in the day for the Giants, Ike Hillier and Amani Toomer and Hakeem Nix and guys like that. You know, those are everything everywhere all at once wide receivers. They do everything. They play in the slot. They play on the outside. They win out. They win short. They win long. Modern NFL wide receiver, they all play a role. Hyatt's the guy that makes sure the defense respects him over the top. Uh, you know, some of the other guys are more slot guys. If you draft a guy in the second round, he can play a role. Rasheed Rice for the Chiefs played a role for the first half of the year until he built himself into an every-down wide receiver. It also lessens the blow on that player. Whereas if you draft a wide receiver like you know Henry Ruggs in the top ten, and all he ends up being for you is 
a deep threat in year one, that's already a busted pick in some ways because everybody expects that player to be an every-down player like a tackle would be early on. So those are considerations to think about. Whereas if a guy's a second-round pick, he can be a contributor with a decent set of expectations early on. You love turf. You're good at it. So you start a turf biz. Business grows. Your savings grow. Become the most celebrated name in turf. Are you ready for all that life brings? Giants Total Podcast is brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the Giants. From game day to everyday, Citizens is made ready for Giants fans with insights, guidance, and solutions. Learn more at citizensbank.com. Here with Eric Eager from Sumer Sports. Let's stick on offense, Eric, and I'll get to the quarterback position in a second. Tight end. You know, it's funny. I get the argument against the tight end early because you're not getting the financial advantage, right? You know, the tight end salaries are not as big, so you're not saving as much money picking a tight end early. But at the same time, I feel like guys like Travis Kelsey are a huge market advantage when you sign them to the extension. So just getting one of those guys and having an elite player long-term for, what, $14 million a year instead of $28 million for a top-wide receiver, that's an advantage too. So how do you view that early tight end pick from a financial perspective, and also remember, you can get tight ends late that are good too. Yeah, to me, it's almost always the position. It's kind of like offensive line, where if you look at the hits rate of top guys, it's really low because you got to be a lineman type player physically, and you have to be a uh, rider receiver type player from an intelligence standpoint, and that's just hard to square. The funny part, though, is and as Giants fans will know, those guys almost always the athlete the athletes that you draft high. They end up being, you know, they end up having salvageable careers elsewhere. Evan Ingram's a good player for the Jaguars. Uh, you know, Ninjoku was the one guy that everybody gave the the Cleveland Browns a lot of flack for signing him to a long term deal. That's been great. I mean, the Browns were basically like, yeah, the, the drafting him was the mistake. Signing, not signing him would have been a mistake. So if I'm the Giants and I'm looking for a difference maker at the position, Waller was a good gamble. But I'm looking at what if the Falcons take a second or third round pick for Kyle Pitts? You've already, right, the league's already evaluated him, for better or worse, right? They wanted, before the evaluation, they took him at four. Now they'll take him at, you know, in the mid-30s, and you get that opportunity pre, you know, fifth-year option to get a couple cheap years, but you also get him right before all these other great, you think about Greg Olson was better for his second team. Uh, Vasante Shanko, a giant, was really good with the Vikings after playing uh, behind Jeremy Shockey. Vasante Shanko, good pull, Eric, good pull. And, and, yeah, and you think about all of these tight ends, and it's just because that position, Jared Cook was terrible in his first part of his career and really good at the second part. It's just that that position is so hard, and so that's the hard part about taking them high. It's not that like Kyle Pitts is a great prospect. It's that the time period in which he has to develop is, is longer than the rookie deal contract. And so you almost never get, I agree, like once you get him in the fold and you pay him, you know, TJ Hawkins, it's another one. Once you get him in the fold, he's going to be about because that market's so suppressed. But in the reason it's suppressed is because those, those rookie deal players don't end up being high performers. No, that's interesting. All right, let's roll back to quarterback. And we talked, you talked about how the quarterback can elevate a lot of issues and problems around them, right? 100% agree. Uh, the Giants now are dealing with a quarterback that has a second neck injury and an ACL tear, right? Um, I think both of us believe as of now, one of those top three quarterbacks is probably not going to be sitting there at six for them to pick. So let's take that out of the equation. And let's just assume one of those three teams are not going to want to trade out of those picks, right? So those guys are unavailable. What's the value to you of taking shots on quarterbacks later in the draft? We've seen shots in the dark work, right? It, 
Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy, you know, go down the list of late round picks, but there's so few of them. And the percentage hit rate is so low. So from your guys' perspective, when you crunch the numbers, what's the value on taking those shots on day two and day three on quarterbacks? Or even maybe the hit rate's not great, but if you do, the reward is exponential. Yeah, Jalen Hurts, for example. Um, you know, you think about Kirk Cousins in the same draft as RG3. Uh, you know, the hit rate sometimes it gets suppressed because the guy that you actually want to be your quarterback ends up working out. So I, that that's another one. I, I you know, think about Carolina. If you drafted Bryce Young first, you you trade a mountain for him, and you end up with, you know, JJ McCarthy. Let's say in round three, do you take him? I say yes, right? Because you just don't know. And the same thing with Daniel Jones. Like I, I think you know rounds two, you know, maybe not round two, but three, four, and five. I think you absolutely consider a quarterback just because you just don't know. And the other part, and this is big for these quarterbacks especially the ones that aren't elite injuries happen. And I think about the Colts, right? It's fun that Gardner Minshew did great this year, but wouldn't you rather have a guy on a rookie deal that you're you're trying to figure some things out about play in the stead of Anthony Richardson? Um, If you were the Panthers last year, did you really want Andy Dalton starting that game? Or did you want some other guy? I think even for the teams like the Patriots, like the commanders, now the commanders have howled, but like, um, you know, the team that's picking first overall, the bears, they should keep fields. If they don't keep fields, they should draft another guy later in the draft because young quarterbacks get hurt. And we've seen with Jones. Jones has gotten hurt in the years that he hasn't played well because part the part of the position that the Brady's and the Mahomes and the Manning's master is not getting injured. And the while Daniel Jones is learning how to read and how to you know how to make sure that he can throw the ball in the right place, he's not protecting himself because he's using his brain on other things. And I think for any team that's kind of in limbo quarterback-wise, they have to factor in the injury part. I think everybody always thinks about the ineffectiveness part, but the injury part is also a big deal and one of the reasons why you should head your bet with a young quarterback there as well. Is evaluating quarterbacks and drafting quarterbacks and figuring out which guys are going to be good and which guys are going to be bad, is that still maybe the hardest thing NFL teams have to do when it comes to draft time? I think so, but I think Giants fans will appreciate this as well. Like I think the the college to pro evaluation to me isn't as hard as the first four year evaluation because as you as Giants fans know, if you get a good coach, which I think Table is, you get some weapons like Barkley and you know Slayton and you know those guys that around him last year, and you build you know and you have an easy schedule because some you know if you're picking high, eventually you're going to have an easy schedule because of the way it shakes out. It's pretty, it's not that hard to get nine, 10 wins. It's what it's to me, the hardest quarterback problem is evaluating what those nine or 10 wins mean. And that's the hardest problem. The Rams failed at that with God. The Eagles failed at that with Wentz. Um, the, the first four years are fine. Usually it's that, it's that, do I pay the guy the 40 million after? Because, you know, that's the real commitment. And that wasn't, and, and that's a relatively new phenomenon. When the Rams drafted Bradford in 2010, they had to give him $50 million guaranteed right away. So it was the two problems in one. And now those two problems actually happen separately. And that, and that's, you know, I think the second one's actually harder than the first one. 
Yeah, I mean, say hello, Chicago Bears with Justin Fields, right? Say hello, Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Baker Mayfield, where they had good years, or rather the Bucs had a good year, and the Bears had some good play from Justin Fields towards the end. And even the Cowboys with Dak Prescott, right? And they're in the division, so let me ask you about that. I'm just curious. How do you think the Cowboys should handle Prescott? Maybe eighth, ninth best quarterback in the league. He's clearly good enough to win your double-digit wins fairly consistently. They haven't had the big success there. He's got a huge cap number. He has no trade clause, which complicates things even further. Are they in a trap here where they pretty much have to extend him as they move forward? Yeah, from a cap perspective, they do, right? Because he has a $60 million hit. Um, you can kind of you know spread that out a little bit in with void years and everything. But if he's going to be your quarterback, you're in, you and you're going to pay for him anyway for the next five years in some way, shape, or form, you might as well. I think he's certainly past the threshold of being willing – of being above the pay threshold, right? He's good enough to make the 50 million a year, the 55 million a year. So they probably have to address it this year to get that cap number down so that they can address, you know, defensive back. They can address some things in the offensive line. They can worry about wide receiver depth after CD lamb, which was a problem. They can worry about running back depth after, uh, you know, Pollard. I think that that's, they have to do that. Um, if they're not going to, they should consider trading him because if they're, if they're just going to kind of kick the can down the road, that's still going to involve paying Prescott for the next five years in some way, shape, or form through void years and, and prorating bonuses. You're ready for a change. Payday comes early with citizens, so go to that retreat. New you moves to the country. Now you're raising goats and launching a lifestyle brand. Are you ready for all that life brings? Giant fans love a winner. It's why they love Citizens, named the 2022 Best Bank in the U.S. by the banker as the official bank of the Giants and sponsor of the huddle. Citizens is made ready for fans of Big Blue. Learn more at citizensbank.com. A couple more here for Eric Eager over at Sumer Sports. Eric, uh, running back, the Giants will have to make another decision on Saquon Barkley this offseason. They have the franchise tag available to him. You could also do kind of like a short-term, long-term deal, two to three years if you want. Um, your thoughts on how they should try to figure out Saquon Barkley this offseason? I think, I mean, I think all the teams that held the water on running backs, the Raiders, the, the Cowboys, the Giants were all proven right. None of those players played up to their, their platform year. Um, and so, you know, as good as Saquon is, I think what, you know, he means a ton to this team. I think you try to get something done. I don't think paying a running back 10 to $12 million is egregious. I think you have to have a real conversation about what it means for him to be the starting running back on that team. Does it mean all the carries, all the catches? I, I don't think you can do that anymore. Um, but I think given what he means to the team from a locker room standpoint and everything, they have to evaluate that because, you know, if he's going to come back and say, I still want to have, and I don't think he actually has, I don't, I don't know what he's actually asked for, but if he's going to ask for McCaffrey money, if he's going to ask for Camara money, that's probably a non-starter. But if he asks for Nick Chubb money, uh, Aaron Jones type of money, and the Giants have a real plan on how to preserve his, his, his health, I think it's feasible to work with him there. To me, it's just really hard because when you pay a running back like that, the 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 what it represents is this guy is our number one guy, and you end up giving him so many carries that it's almost it's delirious to kind of you know his health and the kind of things that you want to preserve in order to make that contract worth it. So it's kind of a catch twenty two to your point. Yeah, it really is. All right, let's jump to defense real quick. The Giants have not named a defensive coordinator as of this recording. By the time it airs, maybe they will have. But odds are they're going to hire someone that blitzes less than Wink Martindale because pretty much everybody blitzes less than Wink Martindale. So it'll be a less volatile defense from week to week with blitzing. What is your guys' 
you know, say when you evaluate building a defense about blitz rate, trying to create some chaos and, and how you should kind of manage that give or take when you're putting together that defensive scheme? Yeah, I think the NFL right now prizes, you know, a, 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 de- a decent ratio of being able to give up first downs but not give up touchdowns. You know, uh, the Chiefs right now are middle of the pack. They're second best in the league in scoring defense. They're middle of the pack in, like, series success. So they give up first downs pretty frequently, but they don't give up scores. You know, but they're fairly aggressive. They play man defense. But against the run, they're not all that sturdy. Um, they, they went out. Okira K was a, a big pickup. He had a great season a year ago. Um, you know, they're, they they got rid of Leonard Williams through a trade. Uh, Dexter Lawrence is a big money guy for them. They really need Kayvon Thibodeau to be a guy. I think blitzing oftentimes is kind of a cover-up for deficiencies that you believe your roster has. So does that mean that they go out and try to get another player to pair with uh, with Thibodeau and Ojolari, somebody like that, that can give them pass rush without uh, having to blitz? Uh, do they go out and get cornerbacks to, you know, to go with Banks and guys like that? Because, you know, they, they need to be able to cover better on the backside. I, I, blitzing, to me, is a risky proposition in the NFL because there are so few possessions now in games. And if you give up big plays, the modern offense really is, is less powerful to come back and score on an opposing on an opposing offense. So it's it's really playing with fire. And one of the reasons why I think the Giants struggled at times last year uh, when they got into games with high-powered offenses like the Eagles, you know, although they played the Eagles pretty well, but like the Cowboys where if those big plays happen against them, their offense wasn't able to sort of turn around and answer because most offenses aren't, aren't able to turn around and answer big play for big play. You mentioned the Cowboys, and this will be a good final stuff for a hit before we say goodbye. All I remember in these Cowboys games is them putting CeeDee Lamb in the slot, and he's just open all over the football field. <laughs> and you mentioned slot corner is a position you can find now in free agency. But do you feel like that kind of slot position, which is also now kind of a star position, right? You have Brian Branch there. They need to stop the run. They need to be able to cover, do a bunch of different things. Is that position becoming more and more valuable in your eyes in the NFL, given how the best offenses like to attack the middle of the field and, frankly, put their best receivers in those slot positions so they have a two-way go? Yeah, and it, and it's where the best defenses, you know, a lot of times have great players. And it's also where the worst defenses fail, right? So, like, San, you know, Los Angeles Chargers, when Derwin James he gets injured, that defense where he doesn't play real well because he's playing hurts, it goes kaput because he's got to do so many things. Uh, the Chiefs are so good there with Sneed that he covers up the blitzes so well. He covers, you know, number one receivers who can play inside and outside. The issue is, is because of the way college football is, it's so hard to find those players. It's almost always a projection. It's like Alabama might have that player in Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, even he played safety in, in the NFL after playing slot in college. There's not that many players where you can go in and evaluate them and how they're going to play that way uh, at, at, at a premium position. Like Mike Hilton is one random example where he played that position in college, was drafted in the fifth round, was actually pretty good in the NFL at that position. But for the most part, it's it's a position where you don't see a lot of guys, you know, Brian Branch playing at Alabama with other great players having to play that kind of secondary role. That's a, a very rare exception. But for the most part, it's really hard to find those players because of that. You know, the, these college programs play their players at the premium positions like outside corner and wide receiver. And so it, it, that, that's where, you know, you truly need to trust your scouting staff and analytics to be able to you know, sort of build that position because it's not a straightforward uh, build. Yeah, same thing for middle linebacker too, right? I mean, colleges aren't producing these players anymore, and I feel like it's just really difficult, even though the salary structure is not big for that group, middle linebacker is just a really tough spot to fill now in the league, no? 
tight ends the same way, right? It's very, you know, Iowa, that's why Iowa produces tight ends, but they have terrible offenses in college football. <laughs> it's not a position that, you know, really translates from one to the other. No, I'm with you. Final question, just basically trade up, trade down. If a quarterback's not involved, are you still in the always trade down, never trade up camp? Yeah, you're just never getting a, a good benefit. I mean, I know there's exceptions. Trent McDuffie was a trade up and, and stuff like that, but you're just especially if you're a team like the Giants, which needs talent, needs depth, trading down is almost always a, a positive. And, and, and it's easier said than done. You need a market for it, but uh, it's almost always better to trade down. Even if you think there's a blue chip guy there at six, or would that make you hesitate a little bit? Well, I think staying pat and taking a player is fine. It's more it's more the gotcha. don't trade, you know, try not to trade up type of thing, uh, more so than it's a, uh, oh, wait, you know, you can stay and take your player. I just I think trading up is oftentimes – it's more expensive than the charts believe almost every time in practice, and you almost never get the value for it. Tell the folks about your podcast, Eric, if they want to check it out. Yep, so myself and uh, Thomas Dimitrov, who's the CEO at Sumer Sports, the, the general manager of the Falcons from 2008-2020, uh, we record every Monday and Wednesday. Uh, Thomas brings uh, great insight to it. We, we like to riff about uh, you know analytics and the NFL, uh, get it wherever you get your podcasts. And then one thing, if, you're, if anybody – uh, listening to this is interested in the Super Bowl on Sunday. Uh, yeah, we, we put together a 41 page uh, big game breakdown on sumersports.com. So, you know, filled with stats and prop bets and all that good stuff. So, if anybody's interested in that, uh, go to sumersports.com and, and check out our free uh, big game breakdown. Eric, great conversation. We appreciate the time. Enjoy Vegas. You're early. You still look conscious and awake. Vegas hasn't gotten to you yet. Enjoy no the rest of your week. Thanks a lot for the time. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks, John. Eric Eager on the John Settle Podcast. We'll see you next time. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.